want to keep uh, kind of telling you some things that we are planning and sort of tongue-in-cheek kind of you know get some feedback and uh, also for you to be able to play a part in these things it would just be great if you could do so um, so stick around after the message if it's at all possible uh, the first scripture I want to read is from Luke chapter 19 verse 13 the King James Version records words such as these in your Bible occupy till I come on May 23rd 1940 Vice Admiral Bertrand Ramsey rubbed his eyes in the caves beneath Dover Castle overlooking the English Channel and then he jotted down a quick note to his wife. He said, no beds for any of us last night, and probably not for many nights. I'm so sleepy, he said, I can hardly keep my eyes open. But he did keep his eyes open as he presided over Operation Dynamo, which, incidentally, Operation Dynamo's sole purpose was to rescue British expeditionary forces at Dunkirk. In what Winston Churchill would later call a miracle of deliverance. Operation Dynamo successfully evacuated a third of a million troops who were trapped in France by Hitler's forces. Everyone needs time to rest and relax, but the devil has millions of people trapped the Church of Jesus Christ at this very moment, by the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, is mounting the greatest evacuation effort in all of human history, seeking and saving those who are lost. You and I, my friends, need to remain vigilant so that our focus isn't diverted by breaking news about the latest movie or the latest electronic gadget or political debate. Let's you and I be different than this world. Let's live with a personal sense of urgency regarding the Lord's work until He comes. Let's win souls even if in the process we lose a little sleep. It was the great preacher R.A. Torrey that said, Because He is coming, I want to be pleasing Him when He comes. I want to go out and suffer. I want to work. I want to win souls and, if necessary, die to save some lost one. I'm telling you, beloved, this evening that that's the heart that Jesus is rebirthing in the church in the hour in which you and I lived, live today. Last week we gave part one of this message. I received this entire message about two weeks ago. There's three parts to it. Tonight is part two. And last week we talked about, specifically we talked about, among other things, the difference between a monologue presentation of the gospel and a dialogue presentation of the gospel. And there's two, they're, they're totally different. And the only thing that's the same about them is people are involved. When I was saved, I was saved as a result, really, of a monologue presentation of the gospel. A preacher with his Bible standing and preaching the truth of God's word. And it brought me to the place where I surrendered my heart and life to Christ. Millions are saved 
in that fashion, as we said last week. We also said that the dialogue form of presenting the gospel is totally different. If you're having a dialogue with someone, you don't want to be standing there shouting at them the word of the Lord like we do when we preach. But you're having a conversation with people and there's a different approach that is used. And one of the keys that we talked about last week, and we're going to briefly touch on it again here tonight, is both methods are needed. Both methods are needed sorely in the church world of today. Let's look at what the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning at verse 5. Well, let's back up and begin at verse 4. For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Who then is Paul, and who is Apollos? but ministers through whom you believed, as the Lord gave to each one. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the increase. So then neither he who plants is anything, nor he who waters, but God who gives the increase. And we could go on and on, but sufficient to say, the point of this talk last week was that both Methods, dialogue and monologue, are needed in the world today. Both are equally as valid. Both are majorly important. And there should be no preference given for personality's sake. Now, we all have our favorites. I have favorite preachers that I like to listen to. I'm not, I'm not going to take the time to name them all here tonight. I like Basically, I'll tell you the truth, I like all preachers. I really do. I may not agree with all preachers, but I like preaching, and I like the art of preaching. Doesn't mean I agree 100% with everything they preach. And as long as they're preaching Christian truth, not some cult out here preaching some weird stuff, I don't like that. But I like a variety of styles. And Paul is clear here in the third chapter 1 Corinthians, that style really doesn't matter. You might be a soft-spoken individual, or you might be loud and bombastic when you're behind the pulpit, but it really doesn't matter. What matters is, is the preaching anointed by the Holy Spirit? And we're going to talk about this in future programming, but the anointing comes basically from two factors. First of all, the Word of God in and of itself is anointed. And so when you proclaim the Word of God... There's an anointing on it just at that stage. And then the anointing also comes to the preacher the way he lives his life before the Lord. And so the dialogue form of presenting the gospel, that's going out soul winning, that's going out one-on-one. -on -one. You can listen to last week's message. It's on the podcast. It's called Deliverance from an Obituary Column. And you'll find that when we talked about dialogue, it's much more intricate because people have a lot of reasons to, to not hear what you have to say, to not receive the gospel, and these reasons need to be overcome. Some of that we'll get into also in future programs. But what we want to understand in the, first, uh, in the third chapter of 1 Corinthians is there, there are marks of maturity in the Christian's life that we must attain 
as we go out to minister. I'm going to tell you a story from about eight years ago. I had some friends that were very into street preaching. I've got nothing against street preaching. I love street preaching. I like any kind of preaching, praise God. But they were very young in the Lord. Not maybe, maybe they might have been saved a good number of years, but they were young people. And it wasn't long before they started really enjoying going out and preaching on street corners and, and uh, preaching loudly and all of this. And they really began to enjoy it. And they began to act like this is the only kind of work that the Lord is into. And that's a very dangerous place to get in your heart and life. Because God uses a myriad of different ways to reach people for the gospel. Remember how we opened up the message last week? We told you about the man who was saved during an expository sermon of Genesis chapter 5. That's the obituary column, basically. And this one lived so many years, and he died. And this one lived so many years, and he died. And this one lived so... and so on and so forth, all the way through the fifth chapter of the book of Genesis, and there's many nuggets to be mined from that, don't get me wrong, but God can use that section of scripture to convict a heart. I told you how that the man said, wow, all these guys have died, I'm going to die one day, and I need to get right with God. And so what we present is of utmost importance, and how it is presented can vary with the direction that God has on your heart and life. Everybody's not called to be a preacher. And you don't need to be a preacher to go out and do the work of the ministry and win souls and share your faith and give out a Bible, whatever the situation calls for. You don't have to have a degree and you don't have to have a, a certain amount. The only thing that we ask for in this ministry, we just started doing this within the last eight months, is we would like, if we're going to pay you, we demand a pastor's reference. Because I just simply need to know not what your title is or not how much education you have, but I just need to know that you're going to flow with us and there's not going to be problems. And so if we're going to pay a person uh, at an event for sure, we ask for a pastor's recommendation. And we would like one uh, anyway if you're going to go out and do a lot of stuff with us. Only because, as I said earlier in the program tonight, I don't want my attention diverted from this which is so important in the hour in which we're living. To reach souls for Christ, to present the gospel. I basically wake up the same way every morning. I grab my Bible. That's the way I want to spend the rest of my life. And I, I want to spend having some good times and telling some stories and, and kicking the breeze, so to speak. But I want to preach the gospel. I want to present the gospel, whether it's in monologue or dialogue form. When we get to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, this is the next part of this message. But there's several marks of immaturity that Paul deals with in the Corinthian church that holds them back from impacting Corinth. Let me tell you a little bit about Corinth. One of the worst things that could be said about a person in the day of the Apostle Paul is that the person was so vulgar, they were so immoral, they were so filthy that they had become Corinthianized. This place was a cesspool 
of sin and wickedness in the time of the Apostle Paul. And what Paul was constantly fighting against was that type of stuff getting in the church. And we could go to the fifth chapter and we could see an individual of uh, a person in the church who had committed sexual immorality with his stepmother. And we can see how Paul dealt with that situation. We're not going to look at that tonight. But Paul dealt with it on the character level of the believer. And I'm going to preach these in another program, but I'm going to tell you them tonight as we lead into the final portion of the message for tonight. Paul, and in chapter 3 of 1 Corinthians, Paul deals with babyishness. He deals with bitterness. He deals with battling. He deals with brokenness. And he deals with barrenness. And these things were present in the church. And you, you cannot struggle with that world's behavior without having a barrenness factor come into your life, and to your heart, and to your ministry, and to your church. Doesn't mean you have to be perfect, because none of us are ever going to get to that place. We're never going to be perfect until we stand before God. But we are willing to be led by the Holy Spirit. We are willing to be corrected by spiritual authority. We are willing to receive advice and, and bear witness and go forward into the harvest of these last days. Paul said, I couldn't even speak to you as spiritual people in verse 1. He says, but as to carnal, to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food. For until now, you were not able to receive it. And even now, you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For there's envy and strife and divisions among you. And then it leads in to the section of scripture that we read at the beginning. And the direct command of the Lord to his disciples, to the early church, these were the founders. These were the spiritual fathers. I, I'm talking a lot on television these days about fathers in the faith and spiritual fathers and past revivals. And, and we're going to be sharing some of that uh, here on radio as well. But these were the father of fathers. These were the guys who walked with Jesus. And Jesus looked at them and said, Occupy till I come. What is it that you and I have to occupy? First of all, you and I are stewards of the Word of God. We have to occupy the real, unadulterated, uncompromised words of God Almighty to His people. We are guardians of that. Secondly, we occupy a spiritual territory that the Lord has led each of us into in our separate lives. Everybody's in a different place in their life, but you occupy that territory and you hold on to that territory that God has given you. Thirdly, we occupy a posture of prayer that we can reach heaven with the needs of earth, and we can tell earth the answer of heaven. We have to occupy in that area until he comes. And most, I'm not going to say most importantly, but I'm going to say very, very important, we are occupiers of the church being handed down 
from one generation to the next generation. And it's not like a secular club or, or society or anything like that. You can't be a part of this kingdom unless you're born again. And so our job, first and foremost, as believers, is to get people born again. And as they get born again, then they hand that church legacy down to their children. And they try to get them born again, and so on and so forth. If you corrupt two generations, you lose the church. We've almost reached that in America, even as I speak. As sad as it is, as hard as it is, to realize and understand, sometimes we have almost reached that place. And so without belaboring this point tonight, I told you it was going to be a short message tonight. I want us to look from Luke chapter 12 at four qualities or, or four uh, issues of life or lifestyle elements, however you want to couch the terminology there, that we as believers must maintain in the last days so that we can be ready when the Master returns. My sister um, in Wisconsin posted something on social media a while back. This group they had, I, 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 the name escapes me, but I think it's called It's Time to Revive. And they had gone into her church and they were doing a, a soul winning campaign in the community. And one of the little things they put up said, if you want to be ready when Jesus comes, your feet need to be ready. And you see, the, the Bible says that the feet of those who bring the gospel of good news to others is, is beautiful. It's beautiful. That's the beauty of living for the Lord. Not what we can get for ourselves and not what we can... Uh, you know, like the world, it's all about the toys, you know, and you're not more holy if you don't have any toys, and there's nothing wrong with having some toys, but, but the beauty of life is in the souls, and the beauty of life is in the kingdom of God, and the beauty of life is in the word, and so we are just at opposites with the world every time we turn around. Everything that the world says is important to us, we look at it like a dog looking at a new pan. And we just think, man, that's not really that important at all. You know, the world says live for the moment. God says build for the future. The world says get all you can and can all you get. And God says lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where a thief cannot break through and steal it. And on and on and on we could go with the differences between us and them. But here's one thing i got to say. Don't look at the people of the world. See, that's the system. That's the way we're trained from the moment we come forth from the womb. We are trained as a fallen son or daughter of Adam's lost race. And don't look at the people of the world as your enemy because they're not the enemy. The enemy, of course, we know, is Satan. And he's the one who has blinded the mind. He is the one who has deceived. He, has, he is the one who has caused all the chaos and the turmoil in the world in which you and I live. It's Satan. He's the enemy. The people are not your enemy. It's very hard to win an enemy. And I don't, I don't know, you know, it doesn't matter what they do. 
It doesn't matter if they're involved in the most disgusting and sordid sin that absolutely makes you want to regurgitate. Your job is still the same, buddy. To get the gospel to them, irrespective of how they look, the way they act, they are children of Adam's fallen race. And one time, for some of us a long time ago, for others not so long, but at one time we were all children of Adam's fallen race. And the clinging vines of the fall of man are still attached to us so oftentimes as we try to navigate our way through the church. And as we try to acclimate ourselves to this new life source that we are to live by, the Holy Spirit, it goes against the grain and it causes a turmoil on the inside. And that's why Jesus said, if you are my disciple, take up your cross daily and follow me. Because these things that are agitating on the inside of us, that's against the Spirit of God, that's against the, the way that God wants us to go, those things aren't just going to disappear overnight. And I've got news for you. You can't just rebuke them. And they, I mean, sometimes you rebuke them and they don't buke. They are still there. You're going to deal with that same old rascal tomorrow morning that you dealt with today. Because how do you get rid of those inner things that we all have that rub against us the wrong way and try to snuff out the light of God that He has placed? How do you deal with that? There's only one way you can deal with that, and it's crucifixion. Take up your cross daily and follow me, Jesus said. He didn't say, take up your cross. He didn't, you know, Jesus took up his cross. Where did it lead him? It led him to Calvary. It's going to lead us to Calvary too, to a place of death. The, the, another name for it is Golgotha, and that's the place of the skull. That's the way that's translated. There's a battle going on in the minds and in the hearts of men and women, boys and girls. And the only way that we can come out victorious to the cross and daily applying the cross to our lives and daily taking that to heart that God has given us. How should we live as believers in the last days on earth so that we can be ready when the Master returns? According to Luke 12, first of all, in verse 35, we should be shining lights in a dark place. And in this translation it says, Stay dressed for action. Keep your lamps burning. That's, that's interesting. In order to stay dressed for action, there's several things that have to take place. If you're going to be dressed, you're going to have to wash your clothes. If you're going to stay dressed, it's going to take a little bit of effort to put your clothes on. You're going to have to iron them. You're going to have to look presentable. This I'm talking spiritually now. I'm not talking to, you know, to go out into the world. I'm talking spiritually that in order to stay dressed for battle, there's a certain amount of labor-intensive uh, maneuvers that we are going to have to master. And we cannot do it in our own strength. We need the power of the Holy Spirit to master what needs to be done to stay dressed. Also, to keep shining as a light in a dark place, we have to keep the lamp clean. And so there's a holy lifestyle that should accompany every Christian that we should not be dirty like the world is dirty. 
Because when dirt gets on the globe of the lamp, the light does not get through. Praise God. Back in the first century, people wore long and flowing robes with a belt cinched around their waist. And when you wanted to have freedom of movement, you'd pull your robe up above your knees and you would tighten it with your belt. And dressed like this, you could answer the door pretty quickly. You could move quickly. Keeping your lamps burning meant having sufficient oil in them. We need to have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. It was like having fresh batteries in your flashlight or having your phone fully charged. We are to be alert, mobile, and prepared. That's the idea that Jesus was communicating. Have your walking shoes on and be ready to bolt. So we should shine as lights in a dark place. We need to have that quality about it. And, and, and it's not just, well, some people got it and some people don't know. Everybody can have it. Through holy living, through setting apart yourself unto God, and through a relationship with the Holy Spirit that only comes through the blood of Christ, you can shine as a light in a dark place. And secondly, we are to be watching for Him. Jesus is coming back for those who are looking for Him. Blessed are those servants whom the Master finds awake when He comes, verse 37. And Jesus also said in Luke 21, 28, when all these things begin to happen, stand and look up for your salvation is near. So we're watching for Christ. We're shining our light in a darkened culture, a darkened generation, a darkened world, and we're watching for Jesus to appear at any moment. And the devil comes along and he tries to tell Christians things like, well, they've been preaching that Jesus was coming back ever since I got saved back in 1981. They've been preaching that Jesus was coming soon since 1974. They've been preaching that Jesus is coming soon since 1949. The whole thing is, we don't know when he's coming. We don't know the day or the hour. We cannot know. Anybody jumps up and says, I got a revelation. I know the day and the hour. You tell him to sit down, please, because you cannot know the day or the hour. The Bible says so. But we are to be watching for him like he was coming back the next minute from now. We are to be watching for him with anticipation eagerly awaiting his return, and we want him to find our light shining when he comes. The little quote that I read at the beginning of the message from R.A. Torrey. Let me read it again. R.A. Torrey, a great preacher of a bygone era, said this. He said, Behold, he is coming. Now, obviously, he didn't come in Torrey's lifetime. He didn't come in Finney's. He didn't come in Spurgeon's. He didn't come in John Owen's lifetime. But these men were all looking for him to come at any moment. I want to be pleasing him when he comes. I want to go out and suffer. Yeah, that's right. That's what R.A. Torrey preached. That sounds so foreign to the modern church. I want to go out and suffer. I'm telling you tonight that there are some things you can only get from God through suffering. 
Suffering of a death to the flesh. Suffering of death to pride and ego. Suffering in the light of God is not always a bad thing. It can be very beneficial to us as we fight this warfare that originated in the heavenlies, but it's bled out into the inhabitants of planet Earth as that old Adamic nature tries to master the new man. But today's church has been fooling around for the last 20, 30, 40 years. We haven't taught the people anything. We've taught them how to claim this and claim that and get you some of this and get you some of that. And so when things don't go as smoothly as we would like them, or when suffering comes, or when pain comes, or when agitation comes, well, we don't know how to deal with it, because we ain't been taught nothing. And that's why it's important, if you want your lamp to shine brightly, it's very important for you to be in the Word of God. And every Christian, listen, don't wait for the preacher to preach you a message. You've got a Bible. You own a Bible. Open that thing up and begin to read it. And get you a version that you are comfortable with. I, I use all the versions. I love the King James, but I like the New King, and I like the New American Standard. But get you something that you can read and understand and let God speak to you. And then we're doing life together. We're in community, and so we run it by people. And we get other people's take on it. And it helps us in our warfare. Why do you think Paul told Timothy to wage a good warfare from the prophecies? He was talking about words that had been spoken over Timothy's life. We need prophetic voices speaking into our lives on a consistent basis if we're going to win. If we're going to run our race as God would have us to run it. I love what Tori said. I want to go out and suffer. I want to go out and work. I want to go out and win souls. And if necessary, die to save some lost one. Praise God for the blood of Jesus. It's it, only the blood of Jesus can make someone that determined. Not only should we... Should we be waiting his return and watching for him? We should expectantly await his return. Luke 12, 36 says, So that they may open the door to him at once when he comes and knocks. Are you not just ready, not just waiting, but are you eager tonight for the Lord's return? And finally, fourth and lastly, we should be working. We should be watching. We should be waiting with expectancy. And we should be working. Look at Luke 12, 43. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. He is doing something. If watching is an evidence of faith, then working is the evidence of faith in action. Watching for the Lord's return will help us prepare our own lives. But working will also ensure that we will bring others with us. Notice that Jesus is saying there's a blessedness in living this way. Another way to translate it, happy are those servants whom the Master, when He comes, will find so watching. Happy are those servants looking for the return of the Lord is a happy, joyful, 
purposeful way to live. You see, we're in the vineyard not for any other reason but that we don't know the day or the hour that the master's coming back. The owner of the vineyard is coming to reclaim what belongs to him. And the only way that we can belong to him is through the blood of Christ. There will be weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth on that day as those who belong to the evil one. Those who an enemy came in the middle of the night and sowed tares among the wheat. And in that hour, many will bemoan their condition. And God forbid that any should ever say, nobody ever told me. I told you last week, I got saved through that monologue method of presenting the gospel. Many have gotten saved that way. Many have also gotten saved through the dialogue, and they're both equally valid, both equally as important, but nobody. In fact, in my whole life, since I've been a Christian too, I've only had three times has anybody ever approached me with a track or with a booklet in their hand to introduce me to Christ. Three times. Three. Nobody did when I got saved. Now, there were things that led up to my receiving from the monologue message. Um, I actually hung out with a couple Catholic ladies. One was a nun, and the other was a Catholic worker. And we played guitar. Sister Doris and Therese were their names. They had a profound impact on my life at that time. Yeah, they were Catholic, and they didn't tell me what I needed to do to be saved. I don't think they knew. But they, what they did say was, you know, Jesus is so good. Jesus did this in my life. Jesus is doing this for me. And God used that in the soil of my heart to when I did hear a monologue presentation of the genuine gospel, I gave my heart to Christ. And God used those two Catholic nuns, among others, in my life. My mom would, uh, she, my mom and dad knew an old man, and he liked to listen to Jimmy Swaggart's music. And I'm talking back in the day, okay? I'm talking about old music, okay? And mom brought those records into our home. And I couldn't get enough of it. I still like Jimmy Swagger's music today. I played him over and over and over and over again. And finally I, I looked this guy up in the TV guide. And there he was on channel 29 and 8. I listened to him preach and I gave my heart to Christ through a monologue presentation of the gospel. But those records and my mother have a reward in that. And those two Catholic nuns have a reward in that. Remember we read to you from 1 Corinthians, one is going to sow, one is going to water, but it will be God who will give the increase. Glory be to God and the Lamb forever. It will be God who will get the glory. It will be God who will harvest what has been sown, what has been watered, what has been tended and cared for. Praise God. So you and I tonight, we need to be shining our light in a darkened place, watching for Jesus, expectingly waiting for Him to return and working in his vineyard. Charles Spurgeon once said this. He said, It is a very blessed thing to be on the watch for Christ. It is a blessing to us now.
how it detaches us from the world. Listen, you want to live separate from the world? You want to live a holy life unto God? Be on watch for the Lord to return at any moment. As I close, what? how do I be on watch, Brother Paxton? How do I do this thing? I want to be a part of this. I want to be in the service of God, my King. What do I do? Well, the first thing you do is you pray. And I tell you right now, every one of you know people that you can pray for every day. Some of them are saved. Some of them are lost. Some of them are hurting. Some of them are dying. Some of them are rich. Some of them are poor. But you know people you can intercede for. Begin right there. And watch, oh Lord, you're coming soon. And I bring this one to you. God, they don't know you as their Lord and Savior. God, will you send a laborer across their path? It might be me, God. I'm willing to go, God. But it could be somebody else that you want to send. But I'm praying, God. And I guarantee you, my dear friends, you will have a reward in heaven for being on watch. For the Lord. Amen. You will have a reward. You can be sick without sorrowing. You can be rich without worldliness. And you can be healthy without presumption. If you are always waiting for Christ's coming, untold blessings are wrapped up in that glorious hope. And there are still more blessings uh, ahead. Look at Luke 12, 44. Truly I say to you, he will set him over all his possessions. One of the rewards of the faithful Christian service here on earth is more work and responsibility in heaven. You say, now wait a minute, if that's a reward, more work, then what do you think we're going to be doing up there in heaven? Laying on a cloud and plucking some weird looking guitar? You'll have more work and more responsibility and more honor in heaven the more faithful you are down here on this earth. What a glorious message. Praise God. What a great God that we serve. What a great Jesus that would do all of this for us by the shedding of His precious blood. And so I want to encourage you in a word of clothing, uh, closing, not clothing, <laughs> a word of closing, I want to encourage all of you, stay on the watch for the Lord. You know, I don't know what that's going to mean in your life, and everybody's doing different stuff. Everybody's kind of doing their own thing. And that's the way it is when you've got billions of people on this people planet. But listen, one thing you can do is pray. Start right there. Start there in the prayer closet. And get you a list. Don't be afraid of lists, please. My wife tells me that every time I go to the grocery store because she usually has to get in the car and go back to the store for the stuff I forgot because I didn't make a list. Make a list, man. That's fine. And pray and pray and pray and seek God for your personal life. And take baby steps if you have to until God flings the door open for you and when he does, run through that thing. But don't try to open it yourself. Because all in this process back here, God's doing something in you. God's working with you. Stay faithful. Stay right there. Do what God's placed in your hand to do. Be on the watch for the Lord. And let God swing that door open. And don't worry. Let me tell you something. Your day's coming. Your time is coming. Your moment is coming. Your breakthrough is coming. 
God's got you in a process that none of us know. It's easy for some guy to sit back and try to tell what my process is. Or for me to sit back and try to tell what your process is. Hey, I don't know. But God knows what he's doing. And God is not a failure. God did not create junk. God did not create anybody worthless and without value in this life. Trust yourself to the hands of the Almighty and stay on the watch for the Lord. Can I get a witness, somebody? Stay on the watch for Jesus. And God will use your life and God will bless your life and you will receive a great reward. If you even give a glass of cold water to a prophet, you will receive a prophet's reward. Don't look down at what God's given you to do. Don't look down at yourself. Just get the sin out of your life. Run to the cross. Stay under the blood. And get filled with the Holy Spirit. And let God move mountains. Because He said He would do it. And God is not a man that He should lie. Can I get a witness, somebody? God is not a man that he should lie. This generation, I want to tell you something, the bomb of Gilead has been poured out through the person of Jesus Christ, the blood on the cross of Calvary, and that did not happen for nothing. There's a purpose, and Jesus will reap the rewards of his labor, and he'll reap it in your life and in mine. And I'm so thankful, and it's such a privilege to be serving the Lord Jesus today. Father, thank you for this time with the people. Thank you so much for just allowing me to do this. Allowing me to share under the anointing the Word of God. Father, I pray for every soul listening. I pray for every heart to open. I pray for every mind to be receptive to the words that have gone forth tonight. Father, put us on the watch for God. Put us on the watch for the Lord's return and give us hearts of passion and fire that burn with the desire to see this generation saved, this disgruntled, disheartened, unlovely at times, this, this, this generation that seemingly, like Jesus, when he looked at his generation, he didn't see the ugly. He saw, Lord, sheep without a shepherd. God, put that heart within us and put those spiritual eyes within us tonight and send us forth. Send us forth. Even if it's just a one person, God, I'll go. If it's just a one person, I will go. It doesn't, it doesn't always have to be a thousand people. It's just one that we can rescue, Lord, and that we can tell them of your great love and this great message that you have given us. Father, I thank you, and I give you, Jesus, all the praise and all the glory in his name. Amen and amen. Now, don't go anywhere, folks. we got a little bit more music coming up, and then in just a while, I'm going to come back again, and I've got a couple more things I want to talk to you about before we head out of here tonight. From this point forward here on this recording tonight, <clears throat> we just finished... Uh, the message and I want to add to it another radio segment I did in that very same program from that very same evening uh, right now as kind of a, a an add-on and a closing uh, to this clip tonight in Jesus name
What a great tune. Today I want to tell you something, ladies and gentlemen. This is our day. This is all of our day. This is our time. You know that we might just be engaged right now in the last opportunity that we will have before Christ comes back to spread his gospel. You know, you, you want to guard yourself when you, I, I talked about awaiting his return, watching his return, that's all, yeah, that's true. But don't become complacent about um, occupy till I come, which is the scripture we started with. Because when he comes back, yeah, it's all over, we're going to enter a great new life, uh, we're going to be in a, in a new world, so to speak, the world of heaven, praise God. And that's all right for you and I who are saved. Yeah, we've got a lot to look forward to. In Jeremiah 29 and 11, I think that's a great part of what God meant when he said, I have come to give you a future and a hope. Yes, I know it does pertain to the life we live now, but it also pertains to heaven. That's okay for us because we're saved, but so many today are not. And you know, you don't have to... Here, here's the thing you've got to understand. You don't have to walk around with a load of guilt and burden on your shoulder in this thing simply because God is only asking you to reach out to the ones you come in contact with. God is only holding you responsible for what he gives you. You know how the parable of the talents, he gave one guy ten, he gave another guy five, he gave another guy one. And the only thing they were responsible for was the ten, the five, and the one. The guy was, the, they were supposed to make them increase, and you do that as you get on that, on that uh, watch for the Lord, you will start getting more opportunity. Opportunity comes from opportunity. You hear me? Uh, another parable that Jesus talked about was, the, the guy sent a group of workers into his field. And he sent a group out at 8 in the morning, and he sent another group out at noon, and he sent another group out at 4. And he paid them all the same. And some guy had a problem with that. You know, I've been here working all day, and you're giving this guy that came at 4 o'clock the same amount of money you're giving me. And God said, well, it's my money. Can I not do what I want with my money? What does that say to you and me? That says to you and me that all is going to be equal as far as if we're faithful servants. The unequality comes in in those areas, in those moments, in those times when we're not faithful. Then that throws in inequality into the mix. But the faithful workers all receive the same wage. And so it isn't a burden, and it isn't a guilt trip, and it isn't a beating down of condemnation. The urgency comes through times like this in a monologue presentation of the gospel as the Holy Spirit touches the words that we say. And it also comes through a dialogue. You can sense the anointing flowing through a dialogue. And that anointing is designed not to put guilt on you, it's to encourage you and to get that fire burning. You, flame, uh, you fan the embers of the flame, so to speak, in your heart. That you will go forth and bring forth much fruit. Some 30, some 60, some 
a hundredfold. You see what we've done in the church? You see the rotten, dirty trick the devil's played on the church? He told us that was about money. Oh boy, you don't want this prophetic word. And so every time we hear that, some 30, some 60, some 100 fold, we think money. Every time you hear the word give, what do you think? Money. I'll ask you, is it always money? Now money, it's included in there, absolutely. But it's not just money. And those parables are primarily not about money. They are primarily about the kingdom of God and the different soils of the heart and the different ways that the kingdom spreads. That's primarily what Jesus was talking about in those parables. And we've totally missed it because we got materialized just like the world. And you know that's right. Ask God today to give you fresh eyes to read the Word, to see things in the Word, and how it really applies to the kingdom of God that we're living in today. And the same power that raised Jesus from the grave will live in you. This is Jeremy Camp.